God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for your spirit. I want to thank you for love. I want to thank you for community and family and children and babies. I want to thank you that you are our God. Thank you for the way that you work in our life. I pray that we would open our hearts to even a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. This morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So last week, we were kind of wrestling with this idea of, of God's love and kind of what it means to us. And in chapter 4 of 1 John, in verse 8, uh, he uses these three little words that said, God is love. And not so much that God is just a loving God, not so much that he loves us or he shows us love, which, are, which is all true, but John makes this statement that God is love. It's who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. You cannot separate love from God. It's not that it's just in him. God is love. And what I said was that because of that, everything that God does or ordains or allows it, it comes from that place of, of love. It comes from his character. It comes from his nature. Everything that he does, everything that he allows, everything he ordains, no matter what theological perspective you come from, is colored, is flavored. It, it's found, it has its foundations in that one statement that God is love. And so as I was thinking last week, I used the word what God allows and, and, and it really kind of, it didn't really set well with me that, that I used that word, in part because it could be very misleading uh, when we say that. Because to say that God allows something, seems like God is kind of passive. Kind of, he's just kind of got, the, got his hands off the wheel, you know? And, and, and so he's just kind of letting things happen as they happen. And, and I want to tell you that in no way, shape, or form has God ever been or God will ever be passive in his creation. He is always active in all things at all times at the same time. Or he would stop being God. Some time ago, um, when Ethan had his surgery, I, I remember telling you guys that uh, God was kind of reaffirming some things in my spirit. And he was showing me some things and, and, and teaching us some things, teaching me some things. And um, it, was, it was a challenging time for us as a family. And I know that in, you know, in hindsight, you know, it's um, many people have experienced many more, much more difficult things than that. And we were grateful to have great doctors and a great hospital. And he's, we have to tell him not to run around anymore. And, and, but, but God was kind of doing this, this work in me during that, that challenging time. You know, and as we look around and we, and we know people in our lives, we know that people are struggling with certain things in their life. They're going through certain things. Ian Romansky was burned over 15% of his body, second degree, some third degree burns last week. And he's still in the hospital. He's still in the hospital in the, in the burn unit in Bridgeport. Man, that's, that's troublesome. Sandy fell down the stairs Friday and broke her leg. Woohoo! I told her three martinis was too much at lunch. But she just wouldn't listen. And, and the funny thing is she was carrying the, um, the, the, the seat you put in the shower that Ethan used down the stairs. Guess what's going back up in the shower today? 
But, but we all know these people that, that are going through difficult times. And, and, and some of them are horrific. I read, the, I read the Wall Street Journal every morning. And the world seems like, seems like it's in just a huge mess right now. Like more than usual. I mean, there's economies that are failing. There's an Ebola virus that is killing hundreds of people, freaking the world out. Let's not, let's not mention, we don't have to mention wars. There are, I mean, Christians right now in Iraq are being killed by extremists because they're Christian. Women and children are having their heads cut off because they're Christian. And if they pay the money to the extremists, then the extremists take their wives and their children as their own and kill the father. There's some horrible things taking place in the world. And then we get to that God is love. You know, sometimes in my humanness, it doesn't quite feel that way. It doesn't really feel like God is love. I mean, if, if it seems like almost that he creates this big blue marble. He throws some really cool things on it. He gives it a spin. And then he kind of walked away and said, well, let's see how this all plays out. And that's where that, why that word allow just doesn't sit well with me because I don't see that in God. But God is love. And you look around and you just know people that are going through some very difficult things. You know, let's be honest. We have all come to that place in our life. We all come to that time when things just are going dreadfully wrong, when it hits the fan, when, when we just don't know what to do, when we say, why? God, what are you doing? Why are you letting this happen? What could be the good coming out of this? What's the purpose of this? Or maybe you could just look up in the sky and just ask that simple one word question. Why? Why? I was asking those questions about seven or eight years ago. I was really wrestling with the why question. Uh, I had this sense of a, a distant, passive God. Like he wasn't around anymore. I mean, yeah, I was doing the God things and, you know, and, and, the, and the church thing. And, but, but there was like, I didn't, I didn't, it felt like his hands were off the wheel. And he was like saying, we'll see where this goes. And what I want to share with you is some of the things that I've come to understand about God through that trying time. I've actually preached this sermon about four or five years ago. And um, I will tell you that it's been churning in my heart ever since Ethan had his surgery on his knee. But it wasn't seen, didn't seem like the time, didn't seem like the time, and I couldn't figure out. And I sat down this week to go into the first John text, and I started on Tuesday, and things weren't resonating with me. And it started, I started filling with it on Wednesday, and I'm just like, mm, what, okay, God, what are you doing Thursday morning? Thursday morning, if I don't have something in my brain, I'm a little stressed because Friday's coming, then Sunday, and, and, and there was nothing there. And then when I thought about this, I believe God said, now's the time. For some of you, this is going to be challenging today because it doesn't fit nicely in our, in our idea of who God is. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not nice and tidy and ni- nice and neat. I'm going to be referencing some, some ancient Hebrew philosophies, some theologies from the, from the Hebrews, from the Jews, you know, the people that gave us the Old Testament and, and the people that Jesus came from, you know, those people. Um, but you're going to be challenged because, again, it doesn't fit into our nice evangelical Christian orthodox theological thinking. But I think it's important that we get a hold of this and begin to understand because we all are going to experience hard things in life. And the world is experiencing some hard things in life. 
And so I want to begin our discussion. I want to kind of lay the groundwork out of uh, the Gospel of John. And Maureen, if you would put the first verse. This is John 11, 1 through 4. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Interesting story, interesting beginning of the story. The name Lazarus in the Old Testament, it's the same in the Old Testament name as Eleazar, which means God has helped. And I can probably tell you, and you probably, if you know the story, God has helped this guy. He rose him from the dead. Lazarus is sick. Lazarus dies. Jesus goes and things all change. And so the sisters, but before that, all that happens, the sisters send word to Jesus that tells him the one that you love is sick. There's no mention of his name. He doesn't, he doesn't, they don't give any more information. They just tell Jesus, the one that you love is sick. And that's enough for Jesus to know who this is. We can see how close his family, he is to this family. I, I bet you the kids called him Uncle Jesus. He's that honorary uncle. They're that close. Now, on the contrary to what we sometimes assume about this story... The sisters never ask Jesus to do anything. They just send word that the one that Jesus loves is sick. But they never, they never ask him to come or to heal or to save their brother. In fact, I would say because these families were so close, they would know that things are a little bit tense right now for Jesus in the story. People want to kill him. People want to arrest him. He could be in danger if he shows back up there. So, so they don't really give him stipulations about what they want. They're just giving him some information. But I just have this sense in the story that in this vague statement, they're looking to Jesus for something. Something maybe only he could give. But they don't make it specific. They don't tell him how they want this to play out. They don't tell him how they want them, him to fix this or make it better or change things. They have this faith, but maybe it's not a full understanding of who Jesus is, but they do have some understanding. And they know, they know that if he wanted to do something, he could do something, but they don't tell him what he should be doing. Their brother is sick. In fact, later on in the story, I believe it's Martha would say, if you were here, my brother would never have died. And so they have this faith. In Jesus. But yet they just send word. The one you love is sick. With no caveat. No request. No stipulation. And Jesus gets the message. Yeah. He's sick. But it will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory. So that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, this won't be the first time that a situation like this has occurred. Remember, there was a blind man, and uh, the disciples saw this blind man, and they asked Jesus, well, who sinned, uh, the blind man's parents or, or the guy himself? And Jesus said, no one sinned. This is for the glory of God that his power may be displayed. And this is the kind of the same answer that Jesus is giving here for this sickness. It will not end in death. Well, at least it doesn't stay ended in death because we know that Lazarus will die. In fact, Jesus hangs out long enough to almost ensure that Lazarus is going to die. But it's not going to end in his ultimate death. But instead, the glory of God will be revealed and the Son, Jesus, will be glorified. 
sometimes it's hard for me to get my mind around that God's glory could be shown through suffering. Imagine in the moment Lazarus took his last breath and what that family experienced. But God's glory would be shown through suffering. I mean, if God's glory was only shown through something that was good, then we'd see God's glory not a lot, it seems, in the world right now. But yet somehow in suffering, the glory of the Lord will be shown. I mean, we all experience those hard times, those difficulties, the disappointments. They're part of our human condition ever since we've had a human condition. And we know that suffering doesn't have any socioeconomic boundaries. You could be really rich or you could be really poor. So I think what we'd have to start to look at is this word glory. No, it is for God's glory and that the Son would be glorified. Now the meaning of of glory here, uh, in, in the Hebrew, it's very different. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for glory means weight. But the, the, um, the Greek word has a very different meaning. It means to perceive something as being good. And now there's a lot of other words that they throw in there, but if you, if you just kind of whittle it right down, it's a perception of something, and it's called superior or, or amazing, but, but it comes down to, to perceive something as being good. And so what... what, what Uh, Jesus is saying is that this sickness is not going to end in death, but this sickness is going to be the revelation of who God is, that God is good. And if God is good and Jesus and God are the same, then Jesus must also be good. That this difficult experience that this family was going through is going to teach something about the goodness of God. Goodness of God through suffering. God will teach a correct revelation about himself through hardship. The goodness of the Lord can be demonstrated through suffering. You know, it just, that's like in my humanness, it's just like this ugh statement, you know? I mean, wouldn't it, doesn't it make more sense to me to just experience the goodness of God in the good things? Mountaintop experiences, rainbows and glitter, everything working out. To me, in my own, in my own humanness, that's, that sounds like a higher level of goodness. That, that nothing really bad could happen, that we would experience the goodness of God in things being good. Or, in order for us to experience goodness, does there have to be its opposite? Does there have to be something bad? Would we know easy if there were no hardship? Would we know light if there were no darkness? Would we know good if there was no bad? I know that's something that's, that's a very philosophical thing. You can wrestle with that over lunch. and um, Yeah. But I believe the question, or the answer to our question, lies within a, an ancient Jewish theology that was way back from Jesus' day in a tradition um, that the sages used to teach. And what they, what they used to teach was that God has created everything. I mean, we could agree with that, right? God has created everything. In the beginning, God created. And so they have this doctrine of perpetual creation. Now, in this, well, let me just, let's go to the first psalm. Warren, would you put that up? 
Psalm 33, 6 says this, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So there we see that God, through his words, created everything. You look in Genesis 1, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke. He spoke everything into existence. He spoke into existence everything from nothing. It's something that we can never do. And in the, in the Jewish tradition or in the sages of, of the Old Testament, they call those the ten utterances of creation. Let there be light. Let there be land. Let us make man in our image. These ten utterances, the word of God coming from his mouth, speaking everything into existence. The ten utterances of creation. Our words, when they come out of our mouth, um, they're, they're fleeting. They're gone. And yes, sometimes they can sting. They can hurt people. I understand that. But ultimately, when we speak, our words come out and they just go away. But not so with the word of God. Psalm 119 says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. God's word is eternal. It never goes away. It remains forever. We see John write about this in the first chapter of his gospel. That said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's speaking about something that's eternal. Never ending, never beginning, always there. The eternal word of God. And we'll go on to say that that, that that word, he was life. And that life was a light that would shine into the darkness. It was the light of man that would shine into the darkness. God's eternal word speaks. And creation happens. His words never go away. And what the sages would teach is that his word is still creating today the god's creation just hasn't stopped but god continues to create now this is where it's going to get interesting for some of you this is where you're going to be stretched a little bit this is where it doesn't fit nicely into our little evangelical bubble you know we don't like the the mystical of our faith the mysterious the unknown we take the incarnation, he's fully God and he's fully man. And we just say, huh, he's fully God and he's fully man. And we just don't understand the depth of what we're saying. The Trinity, three in one. We like to explain that way. Oh, wait. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, and I'm a son. That's like the Trinity. No, it's not like the Trinity. The Trinity, the only words we can use to explain the Trinity is it's unexplainable. And it's a, it's a thing of faith. And so we don't like the mysterious and we almost, we understand it's there, but... You know, we just don't like to use those words. But what the perpetual creation doctrine would teach is that God is creating every moment as it happens. That creation reverts back to the original chaos that it was in the beginning, and God creates it again by his eternal word. And so, in a flick of an eye, we are continually being created over and again. I know, that's, I know some of you are going, eh? stay with me. God is creating, continually creating, over and again, and faster than a blink of eye. Just like, you remember the old school movies that had film, you know, the film, and there's spaces in between that, but as it runs, it runs continuous. That's what our life is like. It's a continuous running, but God is continually creating because he is not passive. His hands are not off the wheel. He's intimately involved in everything that we are and everything that we're doing all around the world. 
God is not absent in the Ukraine. God is not absent in Iraq. God is not absent in Afghanistan. He is intimately involved in his creation over and over again. And yet he's still creating in his creation. And each time this this happens, things are a little slightly different than they were before. And there's more of this divine light of God that's revealed in the world. In the universe, in Revelation 21, Jesus said, I, uh, the, one who, it's the one who sits on the throne, he said, I am making all things new. He's not renewing anything. He's making all things new. He's making all things new. It's not some futuristic prophetic word. It's for the here and now and the present. And each time that creation, God is creating, God is creating, the universe is expanding just a little bit more at a time. And God's divine light is being revealed more and more. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes that at the right time, God sent his son into the world. That he is the light of the world. At the right time, we were able to physically see the light of God in this world. I don't know why that was the right time and not today. I don't know why it wasn't a thousand years before that or a thousand years from now. But we know that as God is revealing himself more and more in the world, at that right time, Jesus came and Jesus was the light of the world. God is intimately involved in creating everything. He is not passive. He's not allowing. Finally, this will all end in one last act of creation. Will there be a new heaven and a new earth? Remember, uh, it says in, in Revelation, there'll be a new heaven and new earth, and there'll be no more seas. Now, the, the Hebrew metaphor for chaos, which is the opposite of God in the mindset of the Hebrews, the Hebrew word for the metaphor for um, chaos is, is sea. Remember, in the beginning, there was darkness over the seas. And what does God speak into that darkness? The first of the ten utterances, let there be light. And God began to create. And God is going to make everything new. He's making everything new. And there'll be no more chaos one day. And Eden, the way God has originally intended it to be, will finally be realized. Perpetual creation over and over again. Jesus holding all things together. Our, our world going from chaos to order in the flick of an eye. And each time God is creating, more light is being allowed into the world. More of his divine light, more of his being. Until one day, heaven crashes into earth. And we won't need the sun anymore because the glory of the Lord will be our light and the lamb will be our lamp. Well, so what does that have to do with the goodness of God? It's a great question. Thanks for asking. How does the goodness of God come through suffering? Well, if he is continually creating through his word, who is Jesus Christ, then what we are experience in life, each moment is not out of God's hands. It's not out of his control. He's not allowed everything. And yes, there's our part in the creation story. 
and there's sin that has come in and kind of messed things up. And we do have choices that we need to make. But when God creates, God creates good. God doesn't create bad. Doesn't, God doesn't create broken. Everything that God creates is good, which means that God is not passive. God is not standing back. God is not just seeing how this all plays out, that he is perpetually involved in everything that is happening in the world today. And yeah, we can mess things up. Well, we seemingly mess things up with our choices and our decisions, but God is still involved with those things. And if God is creating goodness, then maybe what we seem to see as bad is not necessarily bad. You know, we in the Christian world, we want to fix the good, we want to answer the good evil question. We want to fix the good evil thing. We want to separate the evil from God. So we say God is good and God is right and God is just and God is truth and God is love. And the devil, the devil, the devil is bad. The devil is unjust or unright. The devil is a liar. The devil is wrong. The devil is hatred. And it it seems just very nice and tidy for us to separate those two. Here's evil over there away from God and God is over here and, and just very separate from it. But remember that God, created the angel that would be Satan. And when Satan fell, it did not surprise God. He created him knowing that he would fall and knowing what was going to to, uh, transpire after that. God knew everything, but yet he created all the same. He creates everything that exists. And so if God is continually creating and God creates good, then, and I say this with deep reverence and compassion and sympathy for the brokenness that we have in our world and the brokenness that's in people within our church. But God is always creating good. It's a concealed good and there's a revealed goodness. A revealed goodness is those things that we we pray for, those things that we see. It's the joy that we experience in life. It's our health. It's our wealth. It's our job. It's the the good fortune that we have. It's children that behave and do what we ask them to do. It's it's just that great vacation, that great experience, that that sunset or the sunrise that we saw, the walk on the beach, just, just the friendships that we have. That's God's revealed goodness to us. We can see it. We can experience it. We know it, and it puts a smile on our face but then there's there's a concealed goodness because god does not create anything that's bad and the concealed goodness of god is is those things that we pray that he would take away from us it's the suffering it's the brokenness it's the heartache it's the sickness it's the death it's the loss of a job it's the loss of a loved one it's it's whatever that we just that brings tears to our eyes If God is continually creating over and again, then God cannot create anything that's bad. But he creates good. And there's the revealed goodness of God and there's the concealed goodness of God. Now stay with me because this is important. The the revealed goodness of God is the the superficial goodness. And and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. It's just kind of on the surface. It's, It's the things that put a smile on our face. It's the superficial aspect or mode of his divine nature. But the concealed goodness of God is what these, the sages would teach comes from God's inner 
more concealed self. It comes from the very depths of God. And so what that means for us is that when we suffer, when things go bad, when things go wrong, we are encountering God at a level of intimacy that we have never experienced before because that concealed goodness comes from the depths of who God is. And if our universe is constantly being stretched to accommodate more of the divine light, then then we too, through suffering through suffering, through pain, through brokenness that this world has in it that we experience, we too were being stretched to allow more of God's divine light to come into our soul. And it comes through through suffering. And sometimes that light, man, it feels like it forces its way in. It pushes itself in. And the process is painful. The the dilation of the soul, it, it hurts. No one likes the suffering part of it. But God is good. And he creates good. Even if we don't see the goodness. And sometimes we can only see the darkness when we're standing so close to the light. And then as we move through it, we can look back and the work is, the work is done. And uh, the light has been integrated into our soul. And, and things begin to take on a different meaning. I mean, you've gone through things, I'm sure, in your life, hard things, and you've got to the end and you look back and then you can see the footprint of God. And you say, that's what it meant. God doesn't create anything that's bad. And if he's perpetually creating everything, then everything, everything is good. And things begin to get reframed and and slightly expanded. And and then one day you do see it as a blessing. And depending upon the suffering that you're going through or you've went through or that you will be going through in the future, this process can take months, years, a lifetime. Maybe not even in this lifetime. But do we trust that God is good? That he creates good Through suffering, somehow we are deepened, we're wizened, we enter into a new level of intimacy with God through Jesus. And somehow the the divine light has made its way into our soul. And as the pain begins to, to ease and as we begin to heal from that, the treasure of that light remains with us. And we learn and we grow and we move in different directions into different rhythms. I want to tell you, man, if you're going through something or if you're going to go through something, don't give up. Don't give up. God creates good. His hand is not off the wheel. He is not just allowing it to happen. Somehow, in some way, it's good. And there's light. It's, it's easy to see him in the, in the good things. It's easy to see him in the easy. It's easy to see him when there's obvious blessings around. But to see him in the darkness, it's a whole nother level of intimacy. It's a whole nother spiritual maturity that he wants to raise us up into. The world is a dark place. I mean, just look at the news for a minute. The world is a dark place for now. For now. 
And God wants us to see into the darkness. That his glory would be our light and the lamb would be our lamp. Through suffering, we can perceive who God is. That he is good. Please don't take that as me um, devaluing any hurt or brokenness that you've ever experienced. I'm not. I've gone through my own. We all have. Man, I'm here to tell you, God doesn't create bad. God creates good. Hold on. Hang in. He walks with you through it. He moves with us through it. He's doing it, dare I say, for our own good. It's counterintuitive to our human thinking. Perpetual creation. God is always creating. Maybe that's what Paul meant when in Romans 8 he said, All things, all things, God works for good for those who love him. Father, I pray for the the downhearted and the broken. I pray for those brothers and sisters around the world who are being killed because of their faith in you. Father, we trust that you are doing this for some reason. Father, we trust that you are with every one of those individuals. You're with us here right now. I want to thank you for that. That you do not create bad. But there's a concealed goodness in everything that you are and everything that you do. And there's our, the revealed goodness that you bless us with that, that lifts our heart and soul. Father, I pray you'd come alongside our church today. If there's someone who's dealing with something, fear, I pray against fear. God, that let God's goodness come into that fear because his love, perfect love, casts it aside. I pray against those who feel that they're worth nothing. <laughs> God does not create bad. You've been made in the image of the creator good I pray for healing in broken hearts I pray for for healing in angry hearts I pray for release of the captive soul and I pray for grace upon us all that no matter what that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we would fear no evil because his rod and staff will comfort us we love you God we love you Jesus 
May you continue to do the work in your church that only you can do. We come before you in that precious name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. I promise we'll get to First John again next week. <laughs>